We are very blessed to have three wonderful people sharing with us tonight, and it can be uh, very daunting standing up here in front of all of you, so make sure you put your friendly faces on, give them lots of encouragement, stay awake. (laughs) Anyway, our very first speaker, I'm sure has got a great word for us, so let's give him a round of applause, Dave Carboni. I got introduced as Dave, but um, no, either is fine. Call me whatever you want. But let's just start with, like, bow our heads in prayer. Um, Thank you, God, for tonight. Thank you that we're all here and we're all alive. Thank you that we've been able to come together and praise and worship and take communion. And now I pray that you bless the word that I have. You bless the word that the other two that come up have. And I just pray that through tonight you encourage people and you encourage um this church throughout the fast that continues and the the prayers that continue in your name god amen yeah my voice is a little bit iffy so bear with me there but um i'm just i'm gonna talk about busyness because i know it's something that i i know i have a lot of experience with like trying to be busy or, or, or keeping busy, I don't know. But I'll explain it better as I talk. But I noticed at the start of this six weeks of prayer I was, and throughout this six weeks of prayer, I've just found myself getting really busy, just busy with things like work, things like church, finding time to pray, but also all those other things as well that you do in your life. Like I know personally in my life I help out with youth as well. I study Bible college at the moment. And I'm learning Italian as well, trying to. Not, not very good. Um, I'm probably the worst in my class. I'm considering dropping out, to be honest. But um, no, it's, it's bad. <laughs> um, but I'm one of those people who kind of want to do everything. Um, I've never been told that it's a bad thing to be busy. So I feel like I kind of give doing everything a genuine crack as well. I work myself till I'm pretty tired and then when people ask oh how are you doing oh I'm busy or I'm tired like I I don't really talk to people but yeah as I was saying when you're busy like being busy becomes your mantra for everything it becomes like your life motto yeah I've been really busy lately or yeah I'm tired or like things have been crazy like you don't talk about anything else and all of a sudden being busy can really become an excuse to get out of talking to people in a way. Um, Like, imagine if someone comes at you um, ready to have a 10-minute conversation on why their life is falling apart. Um, They ask how you are, and you hit them with, yeah, I've been pretty busy lately. Like, um, that'll probably shut them up, because you don't want to open up in conversation, and now they don't want to open up in conversation to someone who's not going to listen to their life problems. Maybe, Maybe that's too harsh, but busy people deliberately or not, use their collective busyness as the single term, as you use it as a shield and like a wall that prevents you from having those authentic, like time-consuming conversations with people and building the relationships with others that maybe you would if you weren't so busy. And 
I'm probably going to talk a lot about the like synergy between relationships with people and your relationship with God as well and how it's quite similar. But it is the same with God too. Um, when you're busy or worn out, you're not going to want to talk to God as much or you're not going to have time to talk to God as much. Um, regardless of if you want it or not, you're not going to spend that time building the relationship with God. You're not going to spend that time sowing into those things and caring about it as much because you're just busy with other things. And sometimes that's like, it's not really okay. But um, it's, it's just a, a reminder that it's so important. And this, for me, I know is a huge problem, but it's a huge problem for a lot of people. And that's why I'm talking about it. But um, I've been loving some of these messages at church lately. Like the first three weeks of this six weeks of fasting has been really good. And I know I sound heaps excited right now, but, but it's, I've really enjoyed it. And, but there's rarely a time where you sit down, like put on some worship music and have a solid like moment of time with God. There's always a distraction or something. Like maybe your phone vibrates and you look at the notification, it tells you something has happened, maybe Lionel Messi. Um, I, I don't know. What, what does Lionel Messi do? Play soccer? Yeah, um, but there's always something, and you always get distracted, and then your mind travels, and then by the time you've, um, that 20 minutes or so that you probably had set aside has, like, run out, you've been on your phone for 15 of it, and you're not any closer with God, really. And I know that's one case example, but it's, when you're busy, your mind is so so focused on other things, like work, and um, how your family is, and things like that, that it, you don't you don't spend that time focused and zoned in on God like you should be. Um, I'm going to read a Bible verse that I think James said last week. It, it is the, the story of Mary and Martha um, in Luke 10, 39 to 40. I'm just going to read these two verses. But, um, all right. So, Martha had a sister named Mary who seated herself at the Lord's feet and was continually listening to his preaching. But Martha was very busy and distracted with all of her serving responsibilities. And she approached him and said, Lord, is it of no concern to you that my sister has left me to do the serving alone? Tell her to help me and do her part. But the Lord replied to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered and anxious about so many things, but only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, that which is to her advantage and will not be taken away from her. And it's, it's that classic story about distraction, but... I mean, I'm always one to tease the Juanitas and the Honey Chrises of the world and call them Marthas. But, um, and I'll mock my friends for working nine to fives or six day work weeks. But I think it was when I got hit and I got really quite, quite sick at the start of this week and I was just laying in bed and I couldn't do anything. I kind of had time to myself. I had to cancel all these things during the week. And I realized, like, damn, where, when was the last day that I actually rested? Um, and and when was the last day I, start, I spent time sitting at God's feet, so to speak, and spent time, like, at God's feet taking in the good portion and doing that. Um, like, when I was sick, I, I think, like, I, I went through my schedule, like, Monday work, Tuesday uni, Wednesday, Thursday. Like, you don't have a day off except for Sunday, and if you only go to God on Sundays, that's, like, you, just your quick fix at the, at the end of the week to try and make things all better paving over the problems that have built up during the week. It's not a genuine relationship with God day to day to day. Um, and I guess 
this becomes a problem, and I'm going to go a bit deeper because the whole idea of busyness probably stems from a sin that you have to really be careful about because I know busy people are proud people. Um, like I've been, it's it's a big it's a big call, but because busyness can seem pretty innocent at times, and sometimes it is, but often there's that underlying pride that stems in certain ways that I'll highlight. But I've been reading this really great book called Crazy Busy. It's by this guy called Kevin DeYoung. He's a great pastor, I've heard. His book's good. So um, whilst I've been sick, I've been reading it. And it just breaks down how pride kind of interweaves itself in busyness. Um, and he lists this number of Ps of as different like manifestations of pride. Um, so I'm just going to go through them. And you might feel, hey, hang on, I, I know what this feels like. But um, the first one, like people-pleasing, like do you, are you busy because you, you're doing things to love others or are you doing it so that others might love you? Like I, I know I had to take a second look at that and I was like, hang on, what, why am I framing my mind around this? Are you doing it for pats on the back? Like do you do it for the accolades? Like that's another big issue where if you're not switched on and focused, your busyness will kind of just be heading in the wrong direction you're doing it for the wrong thing um another one is proving ourselves so like misled ambition ambition can be great sometimes but when you're proving points that don't need to be proved just to make a point or just to just to make yourself feel good it's not it's not what god intended um another one is pity i know when you have conversations with people oh i'm so busy people feel sorry for you and they're like I know sometimes mum will make, iron my shirt or something. I, Emma, Emma hates it. Emma doesn't think I deserve it. But that's, um, she's probably right. You do get that pity when you're busy. And um, it's, it's something that is, is, a, is an avenue of pride as well, and you have to be careful. Um, another one is when you plan poorly because you want to try and do everything Maybe you have FOMO, you don't want to miss out on any of those things that you have scheduled, or you don't want others to do those things because you want them for yourself. Then all of a sudden, hang on, you're working yourself to death, and it's just so you can do all these things. It's, that's pride, and it's, it's something that creeps into your daily life that you have to be really careful about. Other ones like power, you, do, you, you stay busy to stay in power. You, another one, perfectionism. You, you keep doing things because you want it to be perfect. That's a struggle for some people, I know. And another one is prestige. I know a lot of people who say, if I keep pushing myself, if I keep doing these things, I'll finally be somebody, I'll finally matter. Um, but, I mean, the truth is you'll never be satisfied. But, um, and what does it matter if you have no time to be known by God, if, if you're trying to chase after this worldly prestige? But... When you're busy and these aspects of pride kind of dwell in that, you get spiritually sick. And I know personally I've struggled with that at times this year, just not having the time to go to God and then I'm tired. Like, and then I'll say I'm tired and then I'll be just, we'll, we'll have young adults on a Monday night or something and I just won't have anything to contribute because I'm just not in a place where I feel like spiritually well enough to contribute. You, like... And it is a struggle. It's, it's something that you have to be really careful about. Um, and it, it does stem from pride. I know sometimes in the chaos of 
doing so many different things throughout the week and not having a schedule right, things kind of fall back into your control. You're not able to give it to God because you don't know what you're giving to God because it's such a mess and you're trying to organize these things and put it all together. And it actually does, you, you kind of bring things back into your control and you take the reins back from God and you're like, hang, and you're kind of running your life. And that's not how God intended it. Um, when you try and control your life yourself, of course, like you think um, you don't have time to go to God and pray and you don't have time to do those things and all of a sudden he's hopped out of the driver's seat and you're in it and that's not going to help you drive the car any better. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous sometimes how your brain tries to manufacture things and like um, say, yeah, that's how you should live your life and it's just, it's not right and... We just need to go back to God. Like like Mary chose God's portion. Like Mary sat at God's feet. We need to sit at God's feet. And we have to make that time to sit at God's feet. We can't stay busy. We can't stay distracted. We need to make that time, as I said, to sit at God's feet, to, to maybe commit to this fast and spend the week not eating meat or avoiding sweets or staying off social media or doing these things. And it takes that time, it takes that rest, it takes that dedication to spending time with God, to be spiritually healthy, to achieve those things. Um, and it's, it's so important because God isn't just, and I've already kind of said it, but God's just not, not just another item on the to-do list. He's the one that should be in everything. He's, he's the one that should be consulted about everything and thanked and praised in everything as well. We can't let God into our lives and then kind of force him to watch from the stands as we run around the athletics track like a headless chook. He's, he, he's more than that. He's our coach and he has to be training us. He has to be in us, like our inner drive to run and run the right way and take the straight path or take the right path and um, throughout our everyday lives do the right things and help us to, to guide us through that. Um, and that's why it just it's so important, and that's the key to what I'm talking about tonight. And what I ha- said isn't long, it's just a reminder, but you have to take the time out of your week to do the things that are truly important, both mentally and spiritually. I mean, I talk about being sick this week. I was able to spend more time with mum and dad because I was home more, because I'm never home. Um, but I already feel like, even in those small things, my relationship with like my mum and dad is... Like, like it's only been a week, but there's improvements there already just in those little things. Like, your communication improves. You, the, way you, like, you, the way you know about each other's lives and what's going on improves, and you, you, you're just on a better page with each other. It's the same with God. Um, if you spend that time to rest, if you spend that time for, um, with only, like, God in front of you, of course, when I was sick, lying on the couch, all I had was the TV and Dad sitting next to me or something. So, like, you, you learn somehow, but um, it's just so important. And that synergy there in that picture is there again because if you have God there, you're going to learn more. You're going you're gonna to build that better relationship. The better communication will be there. And that's why I'll just finish. But prioritize time with God during the week and don't let Sunday be that catch-up day to get right with God. Put him first. Let him take control. And all these other hassles will kind of just fall right where they should be. 
and you'll have the good portion as well. So you'll be, you'll be ready to go. So that's my message. Thanks, guys. And now Jack Kapikin will come up and share his. Thank you. How can I beat that? <laughs> that was good, David. Very good, David. I'm scared. Oh, okay, it's totally different what I'm going to share than what David shared. Um, if you want to, um, yeah, like make it. Uh, what do you call it? A heading for this. It's the Father's Heart of God. Okay? <laughs> oh, great. Yeah. I have to wear my glasses. <laughs> All right. Um, so, the Father Heart of God. And uh, where I'm going to read from is uh, it's Luke 15. It's uh, the prodigal son. I think a lot of us will know that. All right. Okay, I'm going to start. So I'll be reading and then I'll stop and just share. <laughs> hmm. Okay. So um, this is where Jesus has just been um, talking to the crowd uh, in parables, I think it is. And uh, so uh, first of all, I'll just let you know I'm reading from the, the um, Passion Translation. It's a fairly new Bible anyway. So uh, Jesus was talking and he says, uh, this is what he said, Once there was a father with two sons. <clears throat> the youngest son came to his father and said, Father, don't, don't you think it's time to give me the share of your estate that belongs to me? So in those days, um, uh, in the lot of Middle Eastern culture, it was a great offence for a son to ask his father for his inheritance. It would be e equivalent to saying, I wish you were dead already, <laughs> already dead. So, you know, like, wow, it's for his, for his son to um, ask that. Anyway, keep going. So the father went ahead and distributed among the two sons their, their inheritance. The Greek is literally, he gave them his life. So um, here uh, you can see, so the father, um, I think it was like sort of um, what the scripture is about, is about God and and uh, Jesus and that, that's what, what it's... So virtually um, uh, he's saying, you know, like uh, um, our Heavenly Father gives us the choices to do what we want. He doesn't, like, he doesn't force it upon us to um, uh, do what, he, what is better for us. Yeah, okay? Yeah. All right. So shortly afterward, the young, youngest son packed up all his belongings and travelled off to see the world. He journeyed to a faraway land where he soon wasted all he was given in 
in a binge of extravagant and recklessness living. Okay, so here we see he... Oh, I mean, he must have got a big inheritance, What the, the way the story goes. So um, what I wanted to say there, so in this world, um, nothing lasts in this world forever. Okay. Um, so anyway, let's keep going. With everything spent and nothing left, he grew hungry for for there was a severe famine in that land. So he, so he begged a farmer in that country to hire him. The farmer hired him and sent him out to feed the pigs. The son was so famished he was willing to even eat the slop given to the pigs. So um, in those days, th- this would be degradable for anyone, but especially for a Jew who was forbidden to raise swine. So, yeah. So, where am I up to here? Yeah, um, so he was uh, even, even to eat the slop the pigs given, uh, that he gave the pigs, because no one would feed him a thing. All right, so continue on. Humiliated, the son, he uh, finally realised what he was doing and he thought, there are many workers at my father's house who have all that, all the food they want with plenty to spare. They lack nothing. Why am I here dying of hunger, feeding these pigs and eating their slop? I want to go back to home, to my father's house, and I'll say to him, Father, I was wrong. I have sinned against you. I'll never be, be worthy to be called your son. Please, Father, just treat me like one of your employers. So that's what he was going to say. It's just, um, look, you know, look, after all that, he had to get that low that um, he realised, he come to his senses, realised that, wow, you know, like back there, what I got back there, it was great. Well, it, it is great, yeah. <clears throat> Pardon me. Okay. Anyway, so, um, so the young son set off for home. And then from a long distance away, his father saw him coming, dressed as a beggar. And great compassion swelled up in his, in his heart for his son, who was returning home. So the father raced out to meet him. He swept him up in his arms, hugged him dearly, and kissed him over and over with tender love. See, the, it's just uh, amazing... Um, how, uh, you know, what, I, I can't imagine that when, you know, I've gone to ask my father for my inheritance and then I've blown it all and when I come back I think, oh, you know, <laughs> I'm not worthy to come, I'm not even worthy to come back, more or less. So it's just, you know, this is like the main story, the father's heart, well, that's just so amazing for a dad to 
to do that. And, you know, like I, I look at, it, um, I look at uh, God our Father and... Thanks. Um, I look at God our Father and sort of I, I um, look at, okay, I'm a, a daddy here, here in this world and it's, what, it's so good. I feel so privileged for them if they come and they, you know, like even just to talk with me in a, you know, not a just how you going and, uh, but a good conversation and that makes me feel really, oh, great <laughs> and that I can just, like, I can just imagine how um, God, how God he is, he's, um, he's um, waiting like that dad, so he, it says um, from a long distance away, so how long has he been waiting for his son to come to come to him you know he was expecting him back that's just so amazing <clears throat> yeah and also um you know like going back to my my sons and when they ring me up and ask something of me oh man i'm 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 there you know <laughs> as long as it's something i can give you know and it's just so great to feel that way but then I think, well, God is like that for us. You know, it's our, it's our choice to um, do whatever we want. But he wants us to choose him. And he, like um, David said, you know, like he wants that relationship. That's, that's uh, the most important thing for him. It's just, ama- you know, like amazing and it's cool. And yeah, like... You know, I, can, I understand because, you know, when kids are, oh, man, it's so cool. You know, like they just some, um, even one of my sons rang me up he, and he wanted me to take this uh, parking ticket back to the city. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, well, I'll do that for you, no worries. You know, I'm not, I'm not doing anything at that time. So it was good, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's good. All right. Carry on. Yeah, so um, uh, the far, from a distance away, the father, and, you know, he's seen him dressed as, like him as a beggar. And great compassion swelled up in his heart for his son who was returning home. So the father raced out and met him. He swept him. I already read this, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, he'd done that. And then, then the son uh, said... You know, like, Father, like what he thought back there. Father, I was wrong. I have sinned, sinned against you. I, have, I could never deserve to be called your son. Just let me be. He was just about to keep going and his father, um, his father interrupted and said, Son, you're home now. And turning to his servants, the father said, Quick. Bring me the best robe, my very own robe, and I will place it on his shoulders. That, like that there, that's just, his own robe is going to put it on him. It's like, you know, I think that's God doing that for us. That's awesome. 
And then he said, bring the, bring the ring of, of seal of sonship. So um, culturally, the ring was an emblem of authority, giving the son authority to transact business in the father's name. This was a picture of the seal of the Holy Spirit. So, um, and uh, there's uh, a verse that it, it, um, elaborates a bit more. So he is, he, he is given to us like an engagement ring. Now, um, the Greek word used here can be translated pledge, down payment or engagement ring. So is given. So he is given to us like an engagement ring is given to a bride, as the first instalment of what's coming. He is our hope, promise of a future inheritance, which seals us until we have all of redemption's promises and experience complete f- freedom all for the supreme glory and honour of God. That's just amazing, isn't it? So anyway, this is after, uh, yeah, put the ring on it, and then I I will put it on his finger. Oh, sorry. And bring out the best shoes you can find for my son. So um, uh, the son... Obviously, he had um, spent everything, and he, you know he's back there. He's, when his father seen, he was like dressed as as a beggar, and uh, with the sh- uh, yeah the shoes. He... Hang on. So it says, or bring sandals for his feet. So he didn't have anything on, and it says his slaves were barefoot. So. Um, the slaves were barefoot, but not people that were um, had had those slaves there. Yeah. And then he goes, um, "Let's prepare a great feast and celebrate, for this beloved son of mine was once dead, but now he's alive again." Once he was lost, but now he is found, and everyone celebrated with celebrated with overflowing joy. So this uh, that just um, like I said, the Father heart of God. That was the Father heart of God. How he just um, yeah, he just welcomed him back, even after everything he'd done, and so yeah. The Father heart of God is so awesome. And I'll just finish there. Oh, God's good. At this time of prayer and fasting, I don't know... How many people know me very well, but I love my sleep. (laughs) I'm not a snooze buttoner. I never have been, I never will be. I set my alarm for the very last minute. So what I've been doing 
during this time is I've been getting up a half an hour early and I've been spending a bit of time in the Word. And when we started this time of fasting, I thought, well, I want to read a book of the Bible. I want to read a chapter a day. There's only one with 40 chapters in it, and that's Exodus. So I've been reading Exodus. I don't know if I've ever read it from start to finish. <laughs> and by Ben's reaction, I'm not alone. Um, but it's really, I'm, I'm finding a lot of stuff in there. It's really good. Now, there was one little passage that caught my attention, even before I knew I'd be standing up here tonight. And it was Exodus 17, verses 8 to 13. So the Amalekites came and attacked Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out. Fight against Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua fought Amalek just as Moses had instructed him. And Moses and Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses would raise his hands, then Israel prevailed. But whenever he would rest his hands, then Amalek prevailed. When the hands of Moses became heavy, they took a stone and put it under him and Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and one on the other. And so his hands were steady until the sun went down. So Joshua destroyed Amalek and his army with the sword. So I'd like to share a few thoughts that I've had about this little passage. The first thing I wanted to do was find out who were the Amalekites. Who were they? Why were they coming out to fight Israel? And you know what? They were descendants of Abraham. They were descendants of Isaac. But they were not descendants of Jacob. They were the descendants of Esau. And if you know anything about Jacob and Esau, even before they were born, it was prophesied that they were nations fighting one another. So if you want to read about these two guys, start from Genesis 25, because I'm not getting into that tonight, okay? But just so that you know, the Amalekites were the enemies of Israel, but they were family. Now, it was quite interesting this morning, Norfei shared the word, and one of the things she said that was that often the attacks that we face come from family, come from people close to us. They don't come from strangers. So once I'd identified who the Amalekites were, I started looking at the key people in this story. Now, you need to remember this is not a story. This is actually an event that happened. It's not a parable. It's not an illustration. However, it does have some illustrations in it. So there were five people or groups of people involved in this story. So there was the Amalekites, the enemy. There was Moses. And for the sake of what I'm sharing, Moses represents each one of us. There was Aaron and her who were up there as a support to Moses. And then there was Joshua. 
So I'm going to start with Joshua. The name Joshua means God is salvation. And the Greek translation and the English word that we use for that name is Jesus. That's the name. So if Joshua is representative of Jesus, how does this affect our understanding of this battle? In a little while I'm going to reread that scripture and I'm going to do a substitution of names of who's in there. So Moses is you and I. Aaron and her. Aaron was a blood brother of Moses. And her, as far as I can work out, was one of the elders of Israel. So they represent in this all of us as church, as family, as the elders and the leaders, brothers and sisters. And obviously the Amalekites, whatever enemy, whatever challenge you or I face, that's the Amalekites in our lives. As I said, often the enemy that attacks us is close to home. So let me retell this scripture now. So the enemy came and attacked me. So I called upon Jesus. I asked him to choose an army and go out and fight my enemy for me. So when Jesus went out to fight, I went to a high place. And I took my brothers and sisters in Christ and I called upon the elders and the leaders of the church. And when I would raise my hands, praising God and praying for victory, keeping my focus on Jesus down there fighting my battle, Jesus was winning. But when I got tired, when I put my hands down, the enemy started to triumph. Have you ever held your hands up for 10 or 15 minutes in church when we're praising and worshipping? Have you ever tried that? That is hard work. It is really hard work. Now Moses was 80. He's standing on a hill with his hands up in the air, probably had the stick in his hand as well. I don't know about you, but 10 minutes I'd be done. And it's like that with all of us, you know. We get weary. When I got weary, my brothers and sisters in Christ and the leaders of the church, they provided a place for me to sit, to rest. They supported me. They kept me praising. They kept me praying. They kept me focused on the battle until the battle was won and the enemy was destroyed. You know, this morning when Damien was leading the pre-service prayer meeting, he started by saying we're halfway through and that now is the time to persevere. Now is the time where some of us are getting a bit weary. Now, I've been trying to fast food. I'm not doing real well. I'm fasting some days but not all days. But there's that encouragement to persevere. Don't give up. You know, even if you haven't seen the answer to your prayers, don't give up on it. Keep going. And this is a time for us to surround one another. This is the time for Aaron and her to be beside you. 
This is the time when you see somebody who's getting tired, whose arms are starting to drop more than they're up. This is the time to get beside them and support them. Because none of us can do it alone. None of us. Do you know Galatians 6 verse 9 says, We must not grow weary in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we don't give up. So if you're praying for something, whether it's on the wall or whether it's just something between you and God, it doesn't matter. God wants us to persevere. But he wants us to rely on each other in our perseverance. So I really want to encourage you that if you are having a struggle now, if this six weeks of prayer is looking really daunting, if this enemy, this thing that you're praying about is looking too big or too hard, I want to encourage you. Find someone to stand with you. Get someone up on that high place with you. Now, you can either do something about it now. You can put your hand up and say, I need prayer. You can come down the front and say, I need prayer. I need someone to stand with me. Or you can wait till after the service or sometime during the week and you can give somebody a call and say, look, I need someone. I need a prayer partner. I need someone who's going to stand with me. Someone who's going to keep my hands raised, keep me praising, keep me praying. Because I need this battle to be won. So I just want to encourage you, if that's you, if you are struggling, we can do this together. So let's pray. As we pray, if you want someone to stand with you, you put your hand up. Someone will come. Or if you want to come down the front and have someone stand with you, you do that. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. Lord, that you have just gone into battle for us. Lord, that we don't have to pick up the sword because you pick it up on our behalf. We thank you, Lord, that as we keep our focus on you, that as we keep our praise and our worship, our prayers before you, Lord, that you are fighting for us. Lord, I pray that each one here who's been trying to do it on their own, that they will seek out someone to stand with them. Then we're going to see breakthroughs, Lord. We're going to see breakthroughs. We thank you, Jesus. We continue, Lord, in faithfulness to you.